episode 160 of the Marvel Studios News Podcast. My name is Sean Gerber, joined, of course, by Paul Herman. Paul, relatively speaking, mm. how you doing? It's weird. Uh, I know I keep saying that on podcasts, but it working in healthcare, things are changing literally every day and are just, just it's crazy. And, uh, you know, I just, I'm trying to stay positive in a lot of places, but, uh, it's, it's just kind of a, it's a weird time. I keep saying that. And I just got to be honest with you all. It's, it's weird, but you know, Sean and I are here. I know people are kind of stuck at home and we're trying to give you guys stuff to listen to. So we're going to try to be optimistic. Sure. We're going to try to give you the facts and give you, you know, at least a, I wouldn't say optimistic, but I would just say, try to give you the most realistic, I'd say, uh, kind of overview of what to expect and our, our favorite MCU films and TV shows to kind of get started or, or get released in some, in some, uh, respects. So, but other than that, I think I'm doing okay. I'm, I'm, I'm really, again, really grateful that I get to podcast with Sean and other podcasts to kind of get my mind off this stuff. So hopefully we can uh, create some escapism for all, for all, everybody. So we'll see. Absolutely. I mean, this podcast is pretty key for me. I mean, it's one of the the best things I get to do right now. I mean, it's always one of the best things I get to do, but now it's one of the only things I get to do right now. And certainly a, a great source of entertainment and distraction for me and hopefully for some of you as well as Paul said a little bit of an escape and it's not just the podcast right now make sure you're following us socially because I've been doing live Q&As on our Instagram at Marvel Studios News I also announce stuff like that on Twitter at Marvel Newscast and I've been doing uh, watch parties that we've been hosting not just on our Patreon exclusive Discord although it's available there but also live on Instagram last weekend did a double feature for Guardians of the Galaxy. So be on the lookout for that kind of stuff. I don't have any scheduled right this second, but if you follow along on the Marvel Studios News Instagram, then you won't miss it when I uh, make such announcements. But for this week's episode, we're going to reach back into something that, of course, I spent some time discussing this on episode 158. As we started learning about all of these all of these things being shut down right now, productions being suspended, Black Widow being postponed indefinitely, and I laid out a lot of different things and a lot of different information and scenarios in there, but I feel like we have even more information, even more data, although still plenty more that we don't, to try and figure out, and one thing I didn't factor as much into the equation is, what do we want to see happen? What would we prefer? How do we feel about things? Because we're in an unprecedented situation right now. And the status of movies and other pop culture things, I mean, it's far from the most important thing, but it is relevant to the interests of this podcast. And so that's why we, of course, will go ahead and and we will discuss it here. So for this episode, what we're going to do is just discuss the options that Disney has with respect to a movie like Black Widow, which has been postponed indefinitely. And while they continue to say, that the plan is to release the movie in theaters, and maybe that's going to be the most likely thing, there is that question in the room of how long can they wait for that as theaters remain closed, and there's also the question of just how soon moviegoers will go back, even when the doors are open. So there are a lot of things to consider here about uh, the different options that Disney may have and what they might ultimately choose to do, even if right now, today their preferences to hold out and wait to release movies like Mulan, which they've also postponed indefinitely, and Black Widow in theaters. But So what we're going to talk about is we're just going to lay out the different considerations for Disney, the different factors that they might be thinking about right now 
or the different types of data that they might be trying to collect to try and make the best possible decision. And it's not just going to be about movie theaters and Black Widow. I think it's also going to be, or I don't think, I know, that we're also going to be talking about things like Comic-Con, because just today, on the day that we are recording this episode, which is April 1st, Comic-Con tweeted that they're still hoping that we can all get together in July. And I don't know that July is really going to be an option for 135,000 plus people to be packed into downtown San Diego. Doesn't seem like the best idea right now, but it doesn't mean that Marvel Studios or Disney would be limited as far as their options to promote things and make announcements. They don't actually need Comic-Con, and we will get into that in this episode. So first, though, we will start with movie theaters. Black Widow remains postponed indefinitely, but we had additional news this week that I think kind of sets the tone for, or perhaps reveals what some of the mindset is across the entertainment industry right now, across these major studios. And you have a company like Sony which just completely backed out of the summer movie season, which is a little bit different than Disney, because Disney, while they have postponed Black Widow indefinitely, they have not yet done anything with Artemis Fowl that is set for late May or Soul, the, new, the next Pixar film that's set for June, or Jungle Cruise that's set for late July. But Sony just took whatever they had set for summer 2020, and they pushed it all the way out of that season. And in most cases like Ghostbusters Afterlife and Morbius, they took those films out of July and into March of next year, 2021. And so clearly there is an expectation that's growing within the industry that 2020, certainly the summer of 2020, is not really going to be viable for these movie studios. And then it'll just be a matter of how deep into 2020 it goes, when are theaters going to be open, and again, when are people going to go back? And there's, a lot of di- there's actually a lot of data that came out on this today from different consumer surveys to maybe guide our expectations and, and what we might think. But before I get into all of that stuff, Paul, because once I start, I won't stop. So um, just for you personally right now, when you think about as a movie fan, you and I both like, you know, I think both you and I prefer going to theaters to see movies, especially for the movies that we really care about. Yeah. What's your feeling today as a movie fan? Obviously, it's disappointing that you can't, <laughs> that going to the theater is not an option right. at the moment. But do you have any of your own hesitation about even when theaters do open up about going back? I, I don't personally, but it's only because I think also working in healthcare, I'm literally by COVID and, 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 and surrounded by people who are sick a lot. And that to me, you know, I, I know the best way of, of, of combating any kind of sickness for the most part, most part is by washing your hands a lot and making sure you don't touch your face a million times and, you know, it just being careful. And, and again, being top line hygiene is, is, is the best, you know, combatant against these kinds of things. And what for me, I, I, you just have to go in and kind of know your what you're going into, and you have to. Uh, to me, it makes no difference. Again, for me, going into here or anywhere else, and kind of in in, in the, the post COVID uh, era, whichever that will be, which hopefully will be soon. Knock on wood. Um, but the thing is, it w- will change things. It will make people more paranoid, and it will mm-hmm. people will not want to sit next to strangers. And that to me right. is going to be interesting for me personally. 
I, I don't like sitting by strangers anyways because I did because people are usually like are obnoxious and and aren't considerate, <laughs> and that's just and for the most right. part. I, I hate to say it, but in movie, especially at movie theaters, they're it's. It, it, I think this has been. No, I I catch it all the time. I catch it all the time. People talking or on their phones, oh, or just God. otherwise being a nuisance in a theater. It yeah. happens a lot. So so here's here's what's kind of interesting. We have a we there was a theater epidemic, you could say, uh, with. With as far as people wanting to go to theaters because of those things, Sean. I mean, think about people on their phones and not caring, and and mm-hmm. and that that is a problem. There's people don't want to deal with that. My my wife is one of them, and you know, I, we we like to try to you know we want to avoid crowds because of that reason because we get so irritated, it's distracting, and we I get, I get so irritable. I can't even focus on the movie and why I love because I love going to the theater. Going to the theater getting down on a date with my wife or a date with your loved one or whoever, you know, hanging out with your friends. It's a fun experience. Right. That is something that you cannot emulate at home because of the screen size of all that stuff. It's just fun to go out on a, on a gathering and watch a movie. That's not your home. It's like, I, I, I everyone kind of asks me when, when I uh, read comic books and I go to the coffee shop and I read there, you know, why do I just read at home? Cause it's, I need to get out of my house. Like I don't, especially now we're in quarantine. We, we see the, the luxury of why it's fun to get out places because we can't go anywhere, sure. you know? So for me, it, it's interesting because when you, we, the, the theater had, a, had an epidemic a little bit at its own minor, I don't want to say very minor for it, for the, for the business of theaters, I should say, of the fact that people not liking to go, you know, or going to movies as much just because of, of that reason didn't stop the big, the blockbusters, obviously. But still, that is a prop, a growing problem in theaters, and you know, growing it and lessening attendance. And then now, we see that we're kind of stuck. Everyone's kind of stuck at home, and everyone's like, "Get me the heck out of here! I want to go out and do something other other than watch a movie at home." It's going to be interesting how that kind of works out. And for me, I, I just you know, it's not going to stop me, but I don't know if it's going to stop other people either. I, I really, it's hard to say. And I think that the problem is, is as, I, as I just said, is the fact that we're all stuck at home. We're going to want to get out of the home for the most part because we're going to be sick of being at home. And I think that how theaters are, I, here's what I'll say, how theaters respond and how they, because remember we had, they had the rule um, before they got shut down that they had to be separate, you know, a certain amount of separate uh, separation away from each other. And they kind of, they X out a, right. a number of seats. I kind of think that's the the kind of thing they need to do. However, they handle it going forward initially is going to say a lot for I think the industry. I think a lot for society. What's going on, and or at least what they assume people will want. That's going to be fascinating because I think that to me they could do that. They could do the separation thing, and I think honestly, not they shouldn't worry about filling up a theater, but just getting butts and seats but not like packing out the seats. And I think to me, that would almost be a better idea because just get some butts and some seats, but don't necessarily want to try to pack them out because one, I'm not sure how much people will want to be by each other. And two, I think right. also that maybe this is, the, you know, maybe taking out these crappy seats and putting in some nicer seats and making it more totally. out of a luxury experience. That's the future to go. And I think they right now they should realistically look at that and say, say to themselves, what do we do with these theaters that have like, you know, hundreds of seats? Do we just knock them half of them out 
and then put in, you know, 50 seats and then say, spread them out. I totally think they should be. Yeah, I totally think they should reconfigure their auditorium. Exactly. I mean, mm -hmm. While they're sitting there with these theaters closed. Mm -hmm. And I, I know that there are limits to what they can do because not everybody gets to send people to work, but maybe they would have to get approval where in different markets to you know, to have construction that can be applied towards building new infrastructure. And even if that can't happen immediately, maybe it can be happen before a lot of the other stay-at-home orders are lifted in a broader sense. I totally think theaters should do that. I think they should be proactive about this. I think they should anticipate that not as many people are going to want to go. So provide the best possible experience and the safest possible experience for those who really place a premium on it, because that's who's going to go to theaters, especially right away. It's going to be people who place the highest value on it, which is not everybody, and it's not even necessarily most of the people who go to the movies. Your average person only sees a handful of movies or less per year. They don't really put a premium on the experience the way that I do or a lot of other people do. And so I totally think with the likely situation being that even when they open up, they're going to have to leave seats empty anyway. Just get rid of the seats and have nicer seats that, and you could have them spaced out in different pairs of seats. Or for families, if you want to have four seats together, it's in some spots in the theater, fine, go ahead and do that. But you have pairs of seats kind of with enough space in their own little partitions, which actually makes the theater better, the theater experience better, because it addresses a lot of the other concerns that, that you mentioned, Paul, that are part of the reason a lot of people don't want to go to theaters anyway is because of other people. I mean, I think part of the reason we like going to the theater is to be with other people, but part of the reason we don't like being going to the theater is because of how sometimes the, mm -hmm. the experiences that we have yep. with other people. And so if you have a partition that helps block out things in the periphery, like somebody else being on their phone or makes it harder for you to hear them if they are talking during the movie or something like that, but also just from a safety perspective, not just in terms of what annoys you or what doesn't, but if you're farther away from people, if everybody has more space, then people are more inclined to feel safe and ready to go back to the movies. And I know for theaters, the concern with that is, well, if we, how are we going to make enough money? Because if we're reducing the number of seats we can sell, then that's going to reduce our revenue. Well, a certain amount of your revenue is going to be reduced anyway, so you can cut your losses a bit there. Mm -hmm. But the other thing you can do is if it's a better experience, you can charge more for it. People will be, I'm not saying people would be thrilled about it, <laughs> but those who really want to go to the theater and place a premium on that experience would be willing to pay for that premium if they're really getting proper value in return. And so if they're getting a better experience in the cinema than they were getting before all of this started, then I don't think they're going to be that upset over having to pay more for it and not to the point where they would refuse to go. I think people are more likely to refuse to go over any lingering fears they have after this pandemic, that's more likely to stop them from going than having to pay a few bucks more per seat. That is, to me, the the, the brilliant idea. That I think it's a no-brainer. I mean, we, we both thought it. We both, and I think, I think we're not the only ones who probably think that. What's interesting is we have to think about what, you know, how they, again, how they respond is how they're going to really make, I think, a bigger impact with their bottom line. And that's that to me is the the utmost fascinating thing about this. And I I just it's it's weird to me that they haven't thought about this already and have are already started planning the ideas of how can we station, like you said, Sean, 
seats a certain way that people can maybe still be on their phones, heaven forbid, which God, I don't understand why people can't just like not look at their phone or if they have important calls, they can have it on vibrate and then leave the theater if they need to go check it out or whatever. But either way, I, I, I don't understand if they haven't already started looking at designs and ways to, to make their theaters seated away where people may be able to be right. on their phone and it's going to be set a certain way where you're not going to have to see their stupid light on while the movie is going or whatever. And I think right. that to me is... And go ahead. Build extra speakers into the partitions in the seats so that way you don't hear them talking either. It, like, yeah. You, get, you can feel the energy of the crowd without having to worry about the annoyance of people of specific mm-hmm. members of the crowd who aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. So here, there's a couple of ideas that came to my head when you were, you were talking just now. And part of it was that we'll, we'll lose our bottom line if, uh, if we have less seats. Now, this is what I would say. I don't, I mean, they, they, I'm not smart and I'm not going to pretend that I'm super smart, but the, hear me out on this. If, if they did take out, let's say they, they did what we were, what we're saying, we reduced seats films like Avengers Endgame or or whatever, Star Wars films or whatever the big budget film that everyone wants to go see that, you know, that they're the blockbuster or whatever. I mean, Mm -hmm. what, what, what did they do back in the day when like more people went to the theater in general? It has had more showings or people, again, it becomes a more of an event where it's like, man, we didn't get in because it's sold out. Well, you know, I'm going tomorrow. I'm going the next day to me. You actually maybe and here I don't know I don't know if this is a, if this is accurate or not or this is smart or not Sean but to me it seems like you almost because it's less there's more demand for it and it becomes more of a you know I I, had, I didn't get opening weekend I have to wait till Monday it's like that whole classic Star Wars thing where back in the day you know they only had so many prints right. of the film so you could only watch the movie a certain amount of times a day and then you had to kind of wait your turn kind of a thing I almost wonder. If they did do that, they might actually create more demand and more it actually be more of an event to get into the theater at that point because you're able to get in because they do limit how many people are in. Does that make sense or how often am I in this? Yeah, it does. It makes sense. I mean, to to some extent that will work in some cases and others it won't like there are certain movies that you're just not going to be able to turn into an event. But that illustrates the other point, though, is that. A lot of seats for a lot of movies go unsold anyway. So a lot of the potential revenue that you think you're foregoing by reducing your number of seats isn't actually real. I mean, you have examples like Avengers Endgame that sells out every seat of every showing throughout the entire opening weekend, and it redefines what we thought was possible on an opening weekend with over $350 million domestic. And okay, that's wonderful and that's great. But that's the exception, not the rule. And so for most theaters or for most movies, it's not really a problem. So if it becomes a problem in terms of capacity for one movie a year, which even then, because Endgame, even by Marvel standards, was an anomaly. I mean, it, it just blew out the average of every single Marvel movie that was out there, even other Avengers movies. So, you know, those things are they're, they are rare. They are the exception. They are the rule. Or, or not the rule, but yeah, you might be able to turn other movies, more movies actually might start, not all of them, but more movies might start to feel like events, and that's going to potentially increase demand. But these are the things I, I feel like theaters, these are things that I think theaters need to do, but it's also hard for me to say that 
movie theaters or movie theater chains should absolutely commit their resources and, and spend a bunch of money to make a lot of these changes right now. Because I think the question on their minds has to be how committed, before we spend a bunch of money reconfiguring our auditoriums, how committed are our studio partners, our distributors, to actually preserving a theatrical window, which the, st the industry standard is a 90-day theatrical window for a new release before it goes to traditional home release, before it makes it into some, a studio's respective streaming service. And I think for the studios, they're probably wondering, I mean, they've been wondering about that for years. It's a question that comes up every year at CinemaCon is, how much they're, you know, how much people still believe in the theat the ninety day theatrical window and exhibitors, the movie theaters, they of course want to hold studios to it. Studios always say that they're going to stick with it, but it's always the question of when are they actually going to break from it. And in some cases, they've done that recently because they had to out of necessity for movies like Universal's The Invisible Man or Disney's uh, Pixar latest Pixar film Onward. They had to break that window because the theaters are closed. But what about for new releases? Are they still going to give theaters 90 days of exclusivity? And I don't know that that's going to be true. And so moving specifically to Disney and Black Widow and their options, and I want to preface this, I think it should be clear based on the conversation that Paul and I have had thus far. When I break this stuff down, especially business stuff where I'm sharing different options that I see from a strategic perspective, I'm just outlining what I think some of the considerations might be, some of the things that I think studios might be thinking about right now. This isn't about me advocating for anything or leaning toward or, or, or stating what my preferences are or arguing on behalf of it. That's not what I'm doing when I lay all of this stuff out because... I prefer to see movies in theaters. I love going, and specifically Marvel movies, I love going to watch Marvel movies in theaters. I know that I've given some movie crowds or some audience members a hard time, and Paul and I have called out some bad behaviors, but I will say that the behaviors that tend to annoy me typically don't happen during Marvel movies, and they don't typically happen during opening night for Marvel movies. Those Thursday opening night showings for the MCU are magical, and I absolutely love them. The Marvel crowds are great crowds, and they are very well behaved because everybody there is really excited to sit down and watch this new chapter of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And so I don't want that to go away. I still want to be able to see Marvel movies in theaters, and I don't really think the threat right now is about Marvel movies being taken taken out of theaters. I think what we have to look at in a more specific context is Black Widow and anything that I talk about as far as options for Black Widow, it has nothing to do with Black Widow as a character or, or Natasha Romanoff and and how worthy of or or deserving she is of having her movie play in theaters. She's as deserving as anybody. It has nothing to do with anything other than Black Widow just so happens to be the next Marvel film and the one that's had its release date postponed indefinitely as a result of this. If it was any other film, I would be laying out the same considerations and making the same points. And to be 100% clear, right now, Disney, they want to release Black Widow theatrically. I have no doubt, and they continue to say that that's the plan. So I have no doubt that that is their preference. That is what they want to do. But situations can change. Anybody who says that there are guarantees right now of what's going to happen, 
make sure they have a time stone where they can actually go look at 14,605 possible futures because we don't know. This is an unprecedented situation where we don't know where this current phase of stay at home and social distancing and, and limits on public gatherings, we don't know how much longer this is going to last. And even when this is done, we have no idea how consumers are going to respond, and that includes moviegoers. So what was normal before the COVID-19 pandemic cannot be assumed as being normal after the COVID-19 pandemic. It could be a new normal, and I think there are factors to consider, and I believe that studio executives, not just at Disney, across the industry, I think executives are looking at these different scenarios, thinking about these things, crunching hypothetical numbers, and if they're not, it means they're not doing their jobs because movie theaters must first be open again, but moviegoers have to be willing to go back. And we are fortunate enough to have a little extra data, so we're not just looking at what we think, although, of course, the, the scope of, these con- of the consumer research is still fairly limited, but there are two different polls today one that Variety reported uh, from a full-circle consumer research study, another one that Deadline reported from EDO, Entertainment Data Oracle. The Variety uh, report was on a poll that was uh, 1,000 people. The Deadline one was on a poll of 6,800 people. And there were some positives in that, you know, when you look at the Variety report, 49% of people said that they, it, might, it might take them at least a few months to return to theaters, or they might possibly never return 28% said they would go to the movies less often. 15% actually said they would go to the movies more often. But if you have that offset of you know 28 versus 15, you still have a net of 13% of people saying they would go less often than they do now. But overall, 58% said their attendance would not change. But that's still, I mean, you still have a significant number of people who, are go, have, who responded that they would wait a long time to go to theaters or they may never return, or they would at least go less often than they do now. But the EDO survey, which had a larger sample at 6,800, 45% said they were highly likely, or close to 70% said they were either highly likely or somewhat likely to return to theaters once they opened. 20% weren't sure. 10% said they were either somewhat or highly unlikely. And then for how soon they would return, 20% said immediately, 25 within a few days. 45% said it would take them a few weeks. 11% said they would wait several months before they go to theaters. So either way, I mean, you can look at the numbers and you could say the majority of people are going to go back, but you still see, even though it might be a minority of the respondents, it's still a significant percentage of people who either aren't sure of of whether or not they would go back or feeling like they might not go back at all. And that's significant when you're talking about major blockbusters like Black Widow, where they are going to make or would have normally been presumed to make hundreds, several hundreds of millions of dollars, if not over the billion dollar mark. So if you have 10% who no longer want to go watch the movie, well, for a movie like Black Widow, if we just lowball it and say the movie would have made $700 million worldwide, I think it would have been more than that. But that's $70 million that's just gone. And you could say, well, the 630 that they'll keep would be more than enough. But I don't know that you can really guarantee that it'll even make the $630 million because this is, this is all stuff in North America. And we don't know, because we're talking about how consumers are going to respond. You have to think about consumers all over the world because these superhero movies, more specifically, 
make most of their money internationally, not here in North America. They make a significant chunk in North America, but it's not where they get most of their money. And China, all of their theaters are closed again, but they had recently opened approximately 500 theaters for about a week. And while they didn't have brand new movies, they certainly didn't have an in-demand film on the level of Black Widow, they were playing previous hit movies in the market, but they couldn't even average one person per screening because people just weren't showing up. And I don't think that's just because they were playing older movies. I mean, if you're around here in LA or I've been in other markets as well, even if it is a screening of an older movie, you can still usually get more than one person to show up. So there are signs out there that a lot of people are going to be hesitant to go see movies. And so I don't really care what movie it is. I don't care if it's Black Widow. I don't care if it's Wonder Woman 1984. I don't see how any of these movies that are going to be coming out probably for the next year or so are going to make as much as they would have had this never happened. So I think when people look at options for these studios, I don't think you can use, I don't think you can effectively use what these movies used to make before all of this as a basis for comparison of what you, of using that to compare against, you know, their, the revenue they would contribute via VOD or streaming. I just think those models, the pre-COVID-19 pandemic models, are already outdated. So you have to at least assume that there's a significant piece of the box office revenue for all of these movies that just isn't going to be possible for quite a while. I don't know what you think on that, Paul, but clear, I mean, some people are going yeah. to be impacted. <clears throat> Maybe a lot of us are still ready and willing to go back, but mm-hmm. there are going to be a significant amount of people who hesitate and don't go back to theaters for quite a while. And we don't blame those people because, again, they're... No, I think I think America is going to be scared about germs. And uh, to be honest, maybe they this might be a good thing in a sense to where it, they might learn to be more, you know, clean in, in public and actually do more, you know, be aware of those things and spreading germs and things like that. But with all that being said, we we just don't know how people are going to react and how and how afraid they're going to be. There's going to be an overreaction. That's just, that is just going to be the... the... But I don't know that overreaction is the right word for it. I mean, this is, what's happening right now is traumatic for a lot of people. I mean, when we're looking at people who might be afraid to go to movie theaters, we got to consider the reasons why they're going to be afraid. And it's not just theoretical. It's not just, I heard on the news that COVID-19 was bad. It's going to be people who, because this is going to touch a lot of lives, as we're recording this episode, over 200,000 people in the U.S. have been infected with it, and thousands are dying, and many, many, many thousands more are going to die before this is done. When we look at this, I mean, these are all people who are having their lives impacted by it. And so if someone doesn't want to go to a theater because someone they know died of COVID-19, or someone, or they themselves were severely ill from COVID-19 and never fully recovered because not everybody who's sick with this and survives is going to fully recover. Or even if they weren't sick or didn't necessarily know anybody who died, maybe they live with people who are immunocompromised. And so they are reasonably scared that even if they catch COVID-19 later on, that even if they might, even if their chances of being okay are pretty high, that if they go home because they wanted to go watch Black Widow in a theater and then the person they're living with who's immunocompromised could catch it from them, even though it's no longer part of a thing where cases are spiking, it's still a very dangerous thing 
for the people who live in their household, these are all very legitimate, reasonable re- you know, arguments for why people would stay at home. And when we look at all of the different reasons that people stay home from movies anyway that have nothing to do with this pandemic, fewer and fewer people are going to the movies. I mean, box office was down in 2019 despite having the highest grossing film of all time with Avengers Endgame, which tells you that movies like that are the exception more so than they are the, the, than they are the rule. So for a lot of people who don't place a premium on the theater experience over watching content at home, they just got another big reason in their minds, and they're not wrong to see that as, a, as just another legitimate reason, perhaps the biggest reason yet, to just go ahead and stay home because for them, it's not the sacrifice that it would be for a lot of us. For me, it would be a big deal to say, I'm not going to go see Black Widow in theaters. But for a lot of other people, it's not such a big deal. It's, I, I would prefer to see it in the theaters so I could see it sooner, but it's not that big a deal to me if I don't. And you know, that's most people as far as their movie decisions. So that's why I, just, I wouldn't call it an overreaction. Well, I would say this. People are going to be very, very trepidatious to a fault in some ways to where they don't, it's like, because you, you have a danger now of catching COVID going to the grocery store. That's reality. And sure. the more you go out. So the thing is right now you could, you know, you touch the same thing as someone has a COVID, you know, again, it's mucous membrane spread. So this stuff, regardless, unless you are literally staying in your house and you're not leaving your, your area, you, you just don't know what's around. Again, if you touch something, you don't wash your hands. Yes. And so I, right. I agree with you that d- people are going to be very, a lot more cautious as they should. Now, when I say overreaction, I'm saying people are going to be fearful about doing anything. And when people are like that, they're, everything's going to be affected by it. Not just movie theaters, but everything, right? Oh, sure. Yeah. Absolutely. So, and that's, what I'm, and that's what I mean. So, so when I say overreaction, I'm saying not just movie theaters. I'm saying it will be a reaction to everything. So people are going to be like, are, are going, there's going to be some people who are like me, who I can't get, wait to get out of this this. This play, this whole idea of being stuck around the same area, and I'm gonna bolt out and I'm gonna do my thing because again, I know how hygiene works. I know all that stuff. And some people, and I, I don't have, thankfully, I have no one at my house that's you know has a uh, comorbidities that are I'm gonna bring back and they're going to die. Like that's those are things that I I am very fortunate and very thankful for. But the thing is, there's right. and there's some people out there who. Are just are going to be fra- are afraid in general when when really it's they, they they need to get out at some point and so for me I, I think that there is going to be there's, there's it's reality and I say overreaction in a sense to where maybe that wasn't the right word but there's going to be I think overly there be some people are going to be overly overly cautious or a lot of people are going to be overly overly cautious to a point where things are going to suffer even after they lift these bans everywhere. And because of that, it's, there is going to be a slow build. And that to me is where, sure. and that again, and this is where, when, when our theaters are part of that slow build, or they want to wait until things are truly kind of really settled for the people, like you said, Sean, that are very afraid to go out, out in public. Because the thing is, regardless of what this COVID thing is, there are still things that when you have you live with someone that has uh, has comorbidities that have issues. Now I know COVID is a lot more severe, but there's still things you don't want to bring out that aren't just COVID, just in everyday life, like the flu. And so people out there are going to be scared. There, these things will exist already, 
it's just a matter of are people actually taking it serious because the flu season and things like that, like these are all things that had gone on before and are still serious, to be honest. And people didn't always take it seriously. Now, granted, they haven't been this widespread and this impactful. But to me, I, I'm wondering where people because it's it's going to be not everyone's going to be the same, but I'm wondering how how those people what, what extreme will outlast the others what i'm saying so are the it's because there are people like me who are going to be like get me out of this place i can't wait and there's gonna be some people out you know who are, are going to be i'm staying home until there's literally no covid cases ever like there's no there's, there's nothing reported or there's nothing or at least there's a vaccine well vaccines I mean, that the... coming for a long time that's 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 not realistic but that's the thing that's something that studios have to factor in as far as their decision making i think that a vaccine is going to be a huge part of what's going to make people feel more comfortable going out again. And movie theaters are unique. Like just, I'll, I'll go ahead and share my own thought process for a second. Like, and, but although I, I don't think it's that different from a lot of other people's, we all, we all understand, and we've understood this prior to COVID-19, that anytime we go out, there is a calculated risk, right? Anything mm -hmm. can happen when yeah. you leave your house. You could get in a car accident. And yes, the flu is dangerous to people who are immunocompromised, not as dangerous as COVID-19. And I, I think the mortality rate has proven that over time. Yes, that so is true. So it's certainly not, you know, obviously neither one of us here are making the just the flu argument, but there is there are risk factors that exist that existed before COVID-19 and will continue to exist after COVID-19. But obviously, COVID-19 has increased everybody's awareness, and there's a more yes. specific worry that people have. And just because we don't see the cases spiking like they do, like they are now, if we can flatten the curve and then start working our way down, just because that happens, it doesn't mean people, until there's a vaccine, there's no guarantee that people won't be able to catch it. And where movie theaters are a little bit more unique, like you say, well, people still want to be able to leave their house. Well, people need food. People need groceries. And so you have to take some risk in order to make sure you can sustain yourself and the people in your household. And people have to go to work. And you know, a lot of people, unfortunately, can't go to work. And I know that causes a lot of hardship right now. Yeah. And that's another point to consider is, you know, just very briefly... People may not have money to go to the movies for a while, even if they want to, because movies are a luxury in a lot of household budgets. And if there's not a lot of room for that because they owe back rent or any other bills that they're behind on because they weren't able to pay them while they weren't able to go to work, that's another thing that's going to cause people to not be able to go out and go to movies, even if they want to. But for the people who want to and can afford to go... Yeah, with, with movies, it's not necessarily the same as if at least if I'm at the grocery store, yes, I could catch something there, but I feel like I have a little bit more control because I get to keep moving. So if I see somebody who looks like they're sick or I see them coughing or sneezing, I just won't walk down that aisle. I'll turn around and I'll walk the other direction. Mm -hmm. And, you know, whereas with a movie, you know, and also you can be a little bit more aware of what you're doing with your hands, right? But if I sit down to watch a movie in a theater, I have no idea, because I know, and actually, generally speaking, they don't, so maybe this process will change as far as being able to turn around theaters, and this is where fewer seats might help. They don't sterilize the seats in between screenings. And so if somebody who was infected with COVID-19 sits down in a seat and they have their hands on the armrest or the cup holder, and I put my hands on that same armrest or cup holder, 
even though I might try to remember not to touch my face until I get out of the theater and wash my hands or have some hand sanitizer ready to go, I might have all of those things and know that I'm supposed to do that. But then I'm watching the movie and I'm lost in the movie and I forget and my the hand that I use to touch this armrest, I'm now scratching my face with it because all of a sudden I felt an itch. And now there becomes an additional risk there. These are all the things, and maybe I'm paranoid, but I'm usually not that paranoid about getting sick. I've never really been much of a German. No, yeah, I understand. But, but at the same time, these are the things that people consider. And also, because reserve seating is more prevalent, you're locked into your seat. So if you if you're if you sit down, and then all of a sudden the person who sits next to you or a couple seats away or the row immediately behind you or the row immediately in front of you. And they start coughing and sneezing. Well, now your options are get up and leave the theater or try to find another open seat that's not reserved for somebody else or just sit there and watch the movie and hope for the best and hope you don't get sick. I mean, there are things that are unique to movies as a calculator risk and everything carries some assumption of risk. But these are the decisions that people will make in their minds. And I think Mm -hmm. for movies, people will look at that specific risk and say, Maybe it's not quite worth it. And here's another thing that could be deceptive about this, because I'm like you in that I can't wait to go back to the theater as soon as they say it's safe to go back to the theater. And so there might be enough people in our situation to where a movie like Black Widow or Wonder Woman or whatever comes out, and we rush to the theater, and it looks like everything's okay as far as the business that these are going to do. Maybe they're opening weekends are just about as good as they ever were, except it's the second weekend where instead of seeing a 55 to 60% drop, we're seeing a 70 to 80% drop Mm. because it's the casual moviegoer who's not going. And that's what you need for these movies. They don't just depend on their opening weekends. They need to have legs at the box office. That's where they make a lot of that big money is on their opening weekend multiplier. And so if the legs aren't there, and here's another thing as far as calculated risks is maybe people will make, they will take the risk as high or low as it may be. They'll take the risk to go see Black Widow once in a theater, but not twice anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, That's and Marvel movies are yeah. ones that frequent repeat viewings. It's like, well, I, I really want to see it once. So I'll, I'll take the risk and I'll hope for the best and I'll go see it this one time but I'm not going to go see it a second time on weekend too. So that's where you could see significant drops as people, not just the people who don't show up, but also the people who maybe would be normal, would have normally been good to see these movies two or three times now only going once. So that's where you just see overall. I just think the overall size of the pie for these movies, it gets smaller. I, I think it shrinks for each and every one of these movies for quite a while, if not forever. Yeah, I, I think to me, you bring up a good point. And, and again, I want to make sure people understand that I, I if you are af- afraid, I don't want to undermine that at all because this is COVID is a legit, like I work in healthcare. I, it is legit. And, but eventually it, you know, thing it will pass eventually. It's, it's taken a lot longer than even I anticipated. And I'm not like a super medical, you know, I'm working administration. But, you know, it's it's crazy and it's unprecedented. I've told I told my staff that many times we are in a unprecedented something we've never, ever thought we'd encounter this in our careers ever. And we just got to, like, live every day to figure out what's next. You bring up a great point, Sean, that 
the people who are diehards like us, we're going to be there. The people, people who are excited to see it will be there. And we're going to honestly bring the disinfectant wipes, the bleach and wipe the, wipe the things down. And, and, and these are things, and this is honestly where, where I think maybe we're going to be coming to for a while. And I don't, and that's not an overreaction. Right. To me, all, to, all I'm trying to say is that I wonder the people who are just are so afraid to even go anywhere. And they're, you know, and again, right. I, and that's what I, I, I hope that people aren't afraid to go enjoy their lives because they're afraid of getting sick. And again, there's, there's ways to battle these things. It's, I mean, again, once it goes down, I'm not saying now is not overreacting. No, I'm, I'm not saying that. Right. I'm just saying when, when eventually the, th- the spikes go down and the, the numbers go down and things are kind of finally well in place. You can go out and enjoy those things, but and people are going to be afraid still, and and rightfully so. But they're still going to be, you know, afraid to do that, and or at least understandably so. And we just, you just have to know what you you know what you need to do to combat those things. And I'm sure that again, how America responds to not just movie theaters, but saying you know when you go out to you know when I go to coffee shops, you know, make sure you wipe this down, wash your hands. I mean, there's going to be. I wonder how the America and the government are going to go out and kind of say that you know bring this out, bring your hand sanitizer is good, but it's not great. But you know, sanitizer, um, you know, disinfectant wipes to wipe your your own. You know, these establishments should be doing it. But like you said, are they going to? And I think that. For me, going back to our previous point about having less seating, you know, don't sell all the seats or have different seating or less seats spread apart, more comfortable, that way you're not up on other people, people can cough and sneeze, you don't have to worry about the germs and all that stuff. What also, you know, you talked about, would you pay more for it? And, you know, honestly, I would because the theater, I think most, I think honestly, whenever you tell someone would you pay? Do you want to pay more at theaters? They'd say no. Everyone's gonna want not want to pay more. But in the context well, of everyone gets sure, but it's it's the kind of thing where everyone gets mad once or twice a year when Netflix says they're upping yes. their prices. Yes. but most of us don't unsubscribe. So Ex- exactly. we gripe about it. We'll complain and say I don't like this. It's also speaking of Disney annual pass holders when prices go up every single year but most people keep their pass it's like i don't like this nobody likes paying exactly more, but you'll still do it mm-hmm. and for theaters they actually have an opportunity to upgrade if they want to charge us more they can deliver a better experience than uh, than they have been but i want to get back into besides just consumer behavior and and the changes on that and, and what's unknowable about that just let's look at disney's options from from this point forward with a lot of this stuff because while I know that Disney wants to release these movies theatrically and I'm sure that if Bob Iger somehow knew that we were recording a podcast about this right now and uh, wanted to go ahead and uh, and call in which is not going to happen I'm sure he would say that the plan is to release Mulan, Black Widow, all of these movies they are intended they were made for theaters they are going to be released in theaters that's the plan but plans are subject to change. And, you know, I, I brought up annual passes just a second ago. And this is why I, I don't think that there's a guarantee. If you ask me today, is it a guarantee that Black Widow is absolutely going to be released in theaters? My answer would be no. Even if I believe that is Disney's strong preference today, it doesn't mean their minds can't change because Disney is in a very unique position compared to a lot of other major studios in that 
they've lost so many of their revenue streams. I mean, you compare it with Warner Brothers being owned by AT&T. Well, AT&T is still collecting cell phone and internet bills and direct TV bills. They still have a lot of revenue streams that are coming in. Disney's lost parks because the parks are closed. They've lost box office because the theaters are closed. They've lost a lot of merchandise sales. They can still, uh, they can of course still sell via the Disney website or the Shop Disney website, but they've lost their brick and mortar retail in malls. Also, the all of the merchandise that they actually sell in the parks, which is a lot of merchandise. So Disney has been impacted and had a lot of revenue streams that are just running bone dry right now. And you do have to wonder just how long they can hold out. Now, there's still money that comes in for Disney. And there's also Disney Cruise Lines. No cruises happening right now. So the, or a lot of that's going, going away. So a lot of these different things that Disney, or a lot of the different ways that Disney's making money, they can't make money right now. How can they make money? Well, they have Disney Plus subscriptions and they can sell movies via VOD. So on individual movie purchases and rentals, those are two of the big things that they have right now, but we know that they are being impacted. And I mean, they just announced this week that they have all their executives across the board are taking huge pay cuts. So you have their CEO, Bob Chapek, taking 50% of his salary. Bob Iger has foregone his salary. I mean, it's their base salaries, not their total compensation package, but they're still they're not taking as much money as uh, as they normally could and ex higher executives across the board are taking at least a 30% pay cut because Disney is a very expensive company to run even when a lot of daily operations are suspended as they are right now and this is something that will continue to impact them into the future because they also are going to encounter delays for all of these things that can't be in production right now. So a lot of the content that they're trying to have ready, movies like Shang-Chi from Marvel or Little Mermaid on the Walt Disney Studios side. So these are all things that are going to impact them. And at some point, the money's got to start coming in. And so the longer it takes for theaters to open and then also get through the second phase of that, which is getting most moviegoers back into theaters so that you will actually get some revenue for your theatrical releases, the longer it takes for those things to happen, or the longer it takes for those things to even look like they're on the horizon, the more attractive VOD and Disney Plus become for a company, for a movie like Black Widow or Mulan, for a company like Disney. And they've even anticipated changes in consumer behavior because they had to put in a couple of filings with the Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC. And they were selling debt securities in order to raise cash. So they're selling off debt so that they can actually have some money to keep the lights on right now. And in their SEC filing, they said that their business could be impacted should the disruptions from COVID-19 lead to changes in consumer behavior. So they know that this is out there. And you had better believe, because if you don't believe this, then you believe they're not doing their jobs. I believe they're doing their jobs, and I think they're not alone in that. I think executives across different studios are looking at the same thing, that they are crunching the numbers. They are crunching the numbers to see at what point it makes more sense to go VOD slash streaming instead of continuing to hold out for movie theaters on some of these large releases, because they would make a lot of money if they put Black Widow out there. And I don't think they would immediately put it on Disney Plus, by the way, because 
then there's a lot of money that they would just be waving away. I mean, they'll get money from Disney Plus subscriptions and increased Disney Plus subscriptions, and that kind of stuff would help. But there's money they could get by putting Black Widow on VOD for individual sale or rental for a month or at least two weeks before they drop it on Disney Plus. That's what they did with Onward, is they did VOD before they put it on Disney Plus, which is going to be this Friday. So it had a two week window of VOD for something like Black Widow. Maybe they do two weeks, maybe they go 30 days, and that's if they go VOD with Black Widow. But for something like Black Widow, by the way, they could charge even more for that. They could charge even more than the $19.99 that they're charging for Onward. They could probably charge 30 bucks, maybe even 40 bucks for something like Black Widow, and a lot of people would pay it. If they get to go watch a new Mar- if they get to watch a new Marvel movie at home right now while they can't go outside, a lot of people are going to choose that option. And you have plenty of people who are subscribing to more streaming services right now, and they're spending more time watching those streaming services right now. And that's where Disney is actually benefiting, because in some of those surveys that I was talking about in that e, uh, the EDO survey that I was talking about, for those who were out of the 6,800 who responded, 29% said that the new streaming service they added was Disney Plus, and for another 21% said Hulu. So people are going to Disney's streaming services right now, and that's very helpful and a good sign for them. But if they really want to keep revenue going and it becomes farther and farther away before they can get the parks open again, get movie, th- get movie theaters open again to collect that box office, that's where VOD and streaming become uh, more attractive. And I know there's that question of, well, how can they offset that? If they do that, then can they make enough money digitally to make up for the box office revenue that they would never see? Well, the offset isn't as significant as you might think, because while you might look at something like $800 million for Black Widow. I know I said $700 million before. We'll keep the math at $700 million, even though I think it would be more than that. Well, Disney's only going to get roughly half of that, maybe a little more, but keep the math simple. So we'll say $350 million. That's what they would have to offset. And that can add up pretty quickly if enough people are stuck at home having to pay 30 bucks for Black Widow. And then the people who are willing to wait for it on Disney+, Plus, they'll go ahead and they'll get those increased subscriptions. So the money adds up. The idea that there is no money in streaming and in VOD. It's a complete myth. And I've seen some of the models for the way some companies actually calculate it because I've worked on streaming shows before. So the idea that they don't make money, as I said, a complete and total myth. So there is a way to offset a lot of it. And again, a lot of the comparisons that people are trying to use to see how much they would have to offset the opportunity cost of not having these movies in theaters it's not as high as you think because it's not going to be as high as it was before this pandemic. It's going to be a new normal with probably a lower potential at the box office across the board. And so you have to factor that in. So I do believe that Disney is at least considering releasing Black Widow and Mulan on VOD and, D- and Disney+. Plus. I think they are considering that. Do I think that that's what they will ultimately decide to do? And maybe right now they already considered it and they've decided we're waiting for theatrical, but it's a topic that can get revisited as we go on. There's no decision in this that's final until we actually know when theaters can be open again and how reasonable it is to assume of when people are going to go back and when Disney has a viable option that they could choose as a release date for a movie like Black Widow. Until we get to that point, VOD and streaming remains an option that they could exercise at any time. Well, I think with Sony moving all their movies out to the next year and putting their their stakes in the ground, if you will, 
and saying, hey, we got these dates, we're sticking here, and they keep moving their stuff out. We've already seen Wonder Woman move once. I, and who's to say it's going to have to move again? Yeah, I mean, we, I, that, I, I don't know. It's very possible. I, I just like, I don't know what, what the, what the America is going to be like by that point. I just, I just don't know. And I'm, I'm very curious. And you might be right. I think it's possible that Wonder Woman could come out. But here's the thing: how many other movie, movies are going to come out around that time? And would you want to put Black Widow amongst the one of the first movies? to be part of the post-theater COVID-19 uh, era. I don't know. And, that's, and if you're willing to wait the next year to release Black Widow, is that something you want to do? I mean, and like you said, Sean, they are not exactly, they're not exactly have a lot of, uh, of money coming in right now. And yeah. they may get desperate to say, you know what? We don't need, we have to make a sacrifice here because we just need something to kind of, like you said, keep the lights on. We need to have some kind of profit going into here, and it may not be the 800 million, 700 million profit we thought it was, but it's better than waiting and not knowing what the post-COVID thing, if we theater experience is going right. to be like, because we put it out and no one goes to the theater, then we might have actually made more money on VOD, potentially, right. than, than us waiting to, and, and people kind of not having anything to do, because right now, everyone's stuck at home. So, and, and before I was of the mind of, yeah, they're going to wait to do it in the theater. That's the only way. But now that I've been, you know, that how everyone's moving their, their things out and they've got in, in Disney, I think the, like you said too, Sony is a obvious, it's, I mean, obviously it's entertainment division is, is operating on a, on fumes in some ways, but at least it's backed by a bigger, you know, it's got income coming in from different things. Whereas, you know, Disney is strictly consumer park-based, movie-based, merchandise-based, and it needs to make money. And right now, it's, it's biggest their money revenue makers. Is based on people, yeah, their revenue is based on people being able to leave their house, and they can't. It, and so right now, and again, the genius that is Bob Iger, and I, I will say Bob's a genius because he got Disney Plus up and running. He's got some now in-home revenue guaranteed coming in. And like you said, I never thought that I would think that Black Widow would come to Disney Plus or before, you know, theater and all that stuff. But now the way the world's working and all these different places are, are you know, canceling their events. They're canceling the, mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're moving their movies, uh, movies out to different uh, dates for the next year, not for the next couple months, which again, right, Wonder year. Woman, yeah, Wonder Woman was the first to move out and said, we're going to put out in August and see what happens. Like you said, Sean, it's possible. I don't know if it's for a slam dunk. You think it's, you might think it's a slam dunk. I think it's possible it could stay. I, I just don't know. It's hard to say at this point. I think it's highly unlikely to keep that date. If, you know, and even Sony must feel that way because it's not like they slid Ghostbusters or Morbius back into August. They took them completely out of summer. And I'm not saying that Sony's the smartest in the movie business. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You Tom know, Rothman. Never, I, I've, I've never been accused of saying that. But I don't think they made these decisions on a whim. I think everybody's been crunching these numbers. And I think Warner Brothers was reactionary on that anyway. The weekend prior to them officially moving Wonder Woman. There was a report that their top level top level executives at Warner Brothers were considering having the movie just premiere on HBO Max, the streaming service that Warner is going to be launching in May, that Wonder Woman 1984 would premiere there instead of in theaters. And so I think what they did was, and of course, they came out and said, that's not true, that's not true. And so then when they postponed the movie, I think they felt like they had to give it a date 
and that date had to be relatively close to the original one because otherwise it was just going to add fuel to the fire of the reports from the previous weekend when it really didn't matter. All they have to do to prove that they're not going to put Wonder Woman on streaming is not put Wonder Woman on streaming. That's all they have to do. They don't have to give it a new date. I'd be surprised if the August 14th date holds because even if when we're looking at some of the research that's out there, the significant percentage of consumers that are saying that even if they go back, they would wait at least a few months. I think we're probably looking at it for movie theaters to even be open. I, I think June at the earliest is what we're looking at at this point. And I, I think that's a, an optimistic assessment of that. And so if you tack on a few months to August, then you're pushing into September. So I just don't think August is really going to be all that viable. And like you said, you know, for if you're a studio and you want to roll the dice on some movies just to see how consumers respond when theaters are open again, you don't roll the dice on your biggest investments. Exactly. No way. You don't mm. you don't do Black Widow, you don't do Wonder Woman. That's for Disney, Artemis Fowl, for Wonder Woman, whatever else they got at Warner Brothers, I don't know. But um, you know, that's what you roll the dice on just to try and gauge how consumers respond to movie theaters being open again. So anyway, I, I do think that VOD and Disney Plus, that remains an option that's on the table for Disney. It's not, and I don't say that as this is my preference or it's, and it's not a prediction. I don't know what's going to happen. That's my point is nobody knows what's going to happen, but I do think executives in these positions with these companies, what these companies are trying to do is figure out how soon they can get back to work, what their options are going to be for bringing in revenue. And they have to weigh that, they, and they have to weigh those options. How much do we think we could make? If Disney hasn't been figuring out and trying to come up with what they believe is a, an effective estimate of, you know, and a somewhat potentially accurate estimate of how much they would make off of Black Widow if they did VOD slash Disney Plus, as opposed to waiting for a theatrical and then doing the present value calculations to see if it's t worth taking a little less money now than money that might, that may or may not be there in theaters in six months or eight months or whatever it is, if they're not doing that math, then they're totally, you know, that, that is just abandoning their duties as executives to figure out what the best course of action is for the company, especially with Disney, with so many of their other revenue streams so completely limited or just completely shut down, they really have to try and, and assess these things. And so I would prefer to see Black Widow in theaters. I really would. That's the way I want to watch the movie for the first time. But if Disney tells me that on May 1st, or maybe it's not on May 1st, maybe it's sometime in June they make this decision, or July, or whenever, and they say, guess what, Black Widow, available on VOD, coming to Disney Plus in a month, but for right now, available on VOD for 30 bucks, they have my 30 bucks. Even, yep. if, it's, even if I don't own the movie for 30 bucks, 30 bucks to rent the movie, I'll do it. Give me you know, 24 hours, 48 hours, whatever. I will rent the movie for 30 bucks and I'll probably rent it again if I have to. They have my money and they could go they could charge more than that for me because obviously I'm a huge fan of this stuff and so of course I'm going to be, you know, there's uh, there's they could go ridiculously higher. I don't want to say how high they could go and I would still pay it. But they can get they could get at least 30 out of me and probably a lot more and I even think that it's not just the diehard Marvel fans that they could get 30 bucks out of. 
I think they could get 30 bucks out of a lot of consumers. A lot of the people who normally would have gone to see Black Widow in theaters, they'll pay to be able to watch the movie at home, especially when we're all looking for more things to do to keep ourselves entertained and occupied at home. So, and, and Paul, I, I got to imagine that if you had the option of watching Black Widow at home, even though it wouldn't be the option you'd root for, you'd still mm-hmm. do it. Oh, yeah. I and mean, that's a no brainer. Are you kidding me? I'd be as soon as it was available, I'd, I'd be on the ready to go watching it. That's that to me is where I think I think it's a very again, I have no inside information. I'm not super speculative as far as this goes. But if my money, if I had a you know, gun to my head as a percentage of it's a possible being a possibility, a very likely possibility, I would say I think it's a good 40 percent chance. I really do. Like, I don't think it's a I don't think it's. I don't think it's a definite. I don't think it's, you know, 50, 50. I think it, but I definitely feel like it's a legitimate shot because it, again, I think honestly, the end of this month will tell a lot because if, if the cases, we talk about the curve a lot, right? Like, you know, where is the, the blip as far as cases submitted and things like that? Like I know, um, there's articles about, I think both of our States, Sean, that, that we've done a good job of, of, you know, things have kind of died down and they haven't increased as much as they thought and et cetera, et cetera. And the thing is not just for our States, but that has to be for the entire United States. If not, you know, at least the United States, I'm assuming the world, but you know, I don't know what, how they're thinking the released black widow, but there has to be some kind of like downturn for them to really think, you know, or there has to be some kind of data for them to see at the end of this month to really look at and say, okay, when right. can we realistically look at this, that we see these numbers, where, what does that mean for the next month in May and in June? Cause obviously it's eventually going to go down. It's not going to be here forever. Look at China. It's eventually gone down. So it's going to happen, we have, but we have to be patient. So the data at the end of this month will tell Disney what to do and to them. And, and that to me is what we'll see. And if, if, if it looks bleak enough for them, in my opinion, this is only my uneducated opinion. If it's bleak enough at the end of this month where they look and see and that, that may looks like it's going to be, Oh yeah, this is not looking like it's going to slow down and be done by May. It's going to be into June there. I, I think it's a, I think for sure that it'll be released in May or June. In, in VOD, but, but unless, and again, if the curve happens, it's not even so much about the bands being lifted and stuff like that. It's more about, cause I agree with you that this month is kind of critical, but I think what they're looking for is not so much the, the absolute dates of how things are going to work, yes. but mm-hmm. the light, but the light at the end of the tunnel. Exactly. That's what they're looking for. I think by the end of this month, and I don't think Disney's alone in that. I think a lot of studios are in that position. Is there, is there light at the end of the tunnel? Right now, we don't see it. We know it's there, but we don't actually see it yet. I, I think that's what Disney wants to see. And if there's still no hope of that, if we are still just as in the dark about when we are going to move on from even this phase by the end of this month, or at the latest, I would say by the end of May, if we're still in that type of situation, then I think Disney's got to start pressings, I don't want to say panic buttons, but they've got to start pressing some different buttons and making different moves. And I think that includes things like Mulan, not just Black Widow, because we keep talking about that because it's Marvel, but Mulan is also sitting there as a big movie that they've invested a lot of money in that is also postponed indefinitely. That's when they got to start making moves and start using those assets 
to bring in immediate revenue to the company if they feel like the future revenue that those movies would bring in is so far off before they can get to it. Because I'm sure that if we can come up with this stuff, and I am not a chief executive or a VP or anything at the Walt Disney Company, nor would I pr would pretend I'm qualified to be in that spot. But there are certain things that just seem to me like common sense that you would factor in. And I do think Disney would factor in that not only do they need to have, they need to at least have a timetable for theaters being open so they can project, fo they can project forward after that of how long they think it's going to take for enough moviegoers to be going back. And so, you know, if right now, while we still don't know when theaters are open, it's wherever, whenever theaters are open, plus at least three months, I, I think is what you'd be looking at before you would want to even attempt to release a movie of the size, you know, with the, the, the size and scope of an investment like uh, Black Widow or Mulan. So the farther out we go without even knowing when things can get back to normal as far as businesses even being open, then it's that much farther out before we know when uh, release dates are actually going to be viable for films the size of Black Widow. So I, I do think that VOD and Disney Plus, it remains an option that's on the table uh, for now, and we'll just see whether or not Disney exercise. I'm not saying that I think it's the most likely scenario, but I think it's a reasonable, a very reasonable possibility at this point. I know we're running long on this episode. I hope you don't mind because I, I think we've all we're all looking for time to spend doing some stuff, and, and mm -hmm. hopefully you find this conversation interesting enough to be worth it. Or you're no longer listening to the episode and you're not hearing this part, which I suppose <laughs> is fair. But uh, of course, we spend a lot of time talking about movie theaters. We do want to talk about uh, Comic Con and and other things that could be as I said, a little more exciting potentially. But part of the reason I wanted to include this is Comic-Con is a big part of Marvel Studios. I mean, Marvel has a pretty strong relationship with Comic-Con from Hall H panels in 2007. And I mean, they haven't done it every single year, but more often than not, Marvel Studios has been there promoting their upcoming slate inside Hall H. And San Diego Comic-Con is, as of yet, not officially canceled or even postponed. So today, Comic-Con International even tweeted that they are still hoping to have this convention going in July of this year on schedule, which I think it starts around July 23rd. And I just don't think that's really going to happen. And I also don't think it's safe. I mean, as somebody who, and going back to what I said about movie theaters, this isn't about my own preferences as a fan, because I go to Comic-Con every year, and I love going to Comic-Con, and I camp out for Hall H to be there for the Marvel Studios panels, and I was there last year when they announced Phase 4 and how exciting that was, and, and it was just really, really great to be able to be there and be so excited about Marvel making announcement, official announcements for the first time in years, because they, wanted, they saved all that stuff until after Phase 3 was over. And so I love going to Comic-Con and, and specifically love going to Comic-Con to see what Marvel Studios is going to bring. And I had been anticipating, as I think a lot of us were, the type of Hall H presentation that Marvel Studios could have this year because they certainly have other open release dates that they could announce projects for, but they also have the ability or they, they would have had the ability to show footage from some upcoming projects. And they still theoretically would, even though certain productions or all of their productions are currently suspended, by the time we get to Comic-Con, based on its scheduled date, then Black Widow would have been released, so they wouldn't need to obviously show anything for that film. 
Although now supposedly they could if Black Widow hasn't already been released by the time Comic-Con happens, whether it happens on schedule or whether or not it's uh, whether or not it's postponed. But, you know, of course, they have things they could show from Falcon and Winter Soldier, WandaVision. They were in production on Shang-Chi for a bit before they had to shut that one down for now. So they could have shown footage from that. And then uh, there would have been plenty of announcements they could have made for open release dates in 2022 and 2023. And that's just on the movie side, not even accounting for other Disney Plus series they could have announced. So I was certainly excited about the idea of a Marvel Studios Hall H panel this year, but there's just no way that I can see it being safe for Comic-Con to happen as scheduled this year. I know three and a half months from now seems like a long time, and certainly a lot can change between now and then, but I don't know, even if I'm being as optimistic as I can possibly be about the situation right now, I don't think my optimism can go all the way to the point where I think it's a really good idea to have 135,000 people in and around the San Diego Convention Center. And you can actually probably almost double that number, if not more, when you're looking at the total people in the area of downtown San Diego and the gas lamp quarter that's right across the street from the convention center, because you have so many people who go down there and they don't even have a badge for Comic-Con because there's tons of events that are going on outside of the convention center that you don't need to have a Comic-Con badge to go participate in. And then you have tons of vendors who are there to sell to the people who are in town for Comic-Con. So you have a lot of people in a, very, in a relatively small area. And Comic-Con is a thing where, I mean, and it's not unique to San Diego Comic-Con. This is not branded to San Diego Comic-Con, but it's just conventions in general. Paul, you're aware of this as well. There's a thing called con crud where you get back from a con- within days of finishing up a convention, you get sick. And even if you're doing all the things you're supposed to be doing, washing your hands and all of that, it's tough because you just have so many people walking around in, com- in really compact areas. You know, when you look at social distancing right now with the rule of six feet, I don't know that I've ever had six feet to myself at Comic-Con unless I was actually in my hotel room and I had a hotel room all to myself. But every other, every, every other place you go at San Diego Comic-Con, you don't have six feet. And I mean, to try and think of camping out in line for Hall H and then sitting in Hall H, I mean, those seats are right next, you are shoulder to shoulder with people so they can fit those 6,500 seats or however many it is inside Hall H. I just don't see how any of that is workable in July of this year. And even if Comic-Con insists on trying to have the event happen as scheduled, I don't think the studios will participate because I don't think the studios want to incentivize tens of thousands of people, over 100,000 people, to be in San Diego for Comic-Con. And also, I mean, I don't think Disney would want to have Kevin Feige and the stars of their Marvel movies and Disney Plus series, I don't think they want to have them in that room in Hall H with 6,500 people, many of whom have been camping outside, so they're not going to be as clean as they could possibly be at the moment. So it, it's, not, it's not a safe option this year. I don't think it's a very reasonable option this year. I think San Diego Comic-Con International needs to postpone at the very least or just outright cancel the event. Uh, but, I do, but I think Marvel Studios still has some options, even if Comic-Con is canceled, and I'll talk about that in a second. But Paul, I'm sure you're in agreement with me. I mean, you know con crud, like you know that it happened. So mm-hmm. I mean, the idea of Comic-Con happening in July just seems ridiculous to me. Yeah, it's, I think conventions, I think what's about conventions, 
I've it's 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 crazy, and there's too much just normal sickness that you can get. Like it's and you're right. Like it's it's one thing to go out in public and get some kind of you know feet away and sanitize your you know you know your things around you, but I could tell you the. I wonder the same thing about Star Wars Celebration. I, I, I you know, mm. when this first kind of happened, this whole pandemic started kind of coming out. I thought there's no way they're gonna, you know, you know, there's been rumors about there were people scared about canceling Celebration. I'm like, that's in August, man. Like this is back, this is March, this is last month, and I'm like beginning, you know, like middle early March, and I'm thinking there's no way it's gonna be totally gone by then. And now that it's, you know, we're into April. You know, I just don't know. Like, like you said, it's one thing to open theaters with like, you know, having people around you and things like that. But it's also another thing to be around tens of thousands of people and getting con crowds and, and, and who knows what uh, around. Mm. And it's a celebration a couple of years ago. You know, every time I've went, I've gotten sick. Almost every convention I've gone to, I've gotten sick at, especially Star Wars celebrations. I've been to, now I've been to three of them. And I said to myself in this last one. I am not getting sick. And so what I did, I boosted my immune system. I took like these immune gummies, like vitamin gummy things. I took airborne. I, I got sanitizer with me and I literally would sanitize my hands every 15, 20 minutes. And I'm not kidding. I touched the railing. I'd sanitize my hands like crazy and I did not get sick. And a lot of people around me got sick. And I'm telling you, it's legit. And you're right. The, if the coronavirus is still semi, just semi active, I think in, you know, just, just kind of on its last leg in, even in close to, you know, at the end of June, I mean, if things are really like kind of ramping down in June and it's like pretty much, you know, whatever, maybe, but I mean, you're talking, it has to be like minuscule, like, you know, outbreaks or whatever. But if there's still like semi cases going on in the state of California, there's no way they can and they can you know put on a comic convention of ten thousand people. There's no way, you know, whatever. So it it really depends. But you know, I don't know. I I don't know what the governments and what they you know, what people want at that point. If they're gonna, they may just say go forward because we need it. You know, I don't know. You just don't know what, what people are gonna push and try to you know advocate for. Because you know the the for people who don't know the coronavirus, what the one of the biggest problems of this whole you know thing is there's a lot of asymptomatic people who don't know they're sick, and they you know right. like that's the problem at my work. I could tell you there's so many people that 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 they don't know they're sick and they find out they're sick, and they just don't know, and that's the problem that everyone's immune systems are affected differently from this disease and it's it, it's more, it's probably the the worst thing about this disease because if we know people are sick we stay away from them right well the problem is with, with covid-19 is we don't know and a lot of people don't know and they spread it around and then all of a sudden all uh, some people are affected you know differently and it's just crazy so that's the one thing i i i understand where people are scared about with with covid and and being protective and and being trepidatious that i totally understand and i think that again it, it all depends on what things look like i think in may at this point at the end of this at the end of this month will tell a lot and i think may even more so with with comic con if if by may things are still just kind of slightly going downhill 
as far as um, down down the line and they're eventually going down, they may still have to cancel because again, we don't with COVID nineteen, you don't know if you have it symptomatically. So I, you, I think they're yeah, I think they're going to have to cancel it because, like hmm. you said, I mean, even if things get better, they can spike up, and the way you prevent things from spiking up again is you. There's a process in getting people back to public gatherings, but there still need to be limits so that yeah. if you see an outbreak, you can track and trace and, and isolate to try and combat it that way. You can't do that if you have 135,000 people going in and out of convention center the same weekend. You just can't. There's no track and trace, especially because people are coming from all over the world. So Comic-Con, people are going to catch it there and take it back all over the world. So not just all over the country, all over the world, people come internationally to come to San Diego Comic-Con. So I just don't see how it's a reasonable option, even if we're out of our houses in May and we're ramping up to other events and public gatherings and stuff like that in June. I still don't see how you reasonably get to 135,000 plus people in the convention center in July. I just, I just don't see how you get there. but. The good news for Marvel Studios is that if they want to have a Comic-Con experience for the fans, they still can. They can do that while we're all still at home, or even if we're not still at home, even if we're going back to work and maybe even starting to go to movie theaters again. But if there's still a limit on things like Comic-Con, then Marvel Studios has the option of doing what is effectively a Hall H panel they could do that from the Disney lot on a secure soundstage that they then just live stream and they can do that anywhere they want. They could do it on the Marvel YouTube channel or if they want to make it, if they want to have some exclusivity, make it exclusive to Disney Plus. If they want to make some money off of it, they could do something like that. Where and, and these are events that are possible. I mean, this is how Apple does their rollout events and announcements of their new, I mean, obviously it's equipment it's not you know it's it's phones and macbooks not necessarily content although they've done that too with apple tv plus but that's what disney could do is right there on the disney plus app you could have a live stream of this announcement and they did this for the investor day for disney plus in april of last year where you just have people coming out and they're talking about this stuff and they're hyping it and it's a controlled environment and also you get to pick the date so you don't have to worry about comic-con happening in july or if it gets postponed, what dates those are. I mean, Marvel threw their Hall H panel once. They did it. I was there at El Capitan Theater in October 2014 to announce phase three. So they could do something like that again, but they could also, I mean, they could choose their, their own theater if they want to have uh, some place where some fans might be able to go. But really, I mean, if they were just live streaming it, whether there were fans in the audience or not, more people would actually be able to see it. More Marvel fans would actually be able to see a Marvel Studios presentation. Granted, nobody would be live in the room, and so those people miss out on that experience, and that includes me because I love being in that crowd and going through that, but everybody else gets the chance to see it. Everybody else has the opportunity to look at the stars coming out, the directors, the actors talking about the upcoming projects, and then also instead of the footage playing in the room and then nobody sees it, they can select footage that they feel comfortable releasing to the public, and it can actually stream during the presentation that's on Disney Plus or YouTube or however they want to do it. But those options are right there. And I feel like that is a good option specifically for Disney Plus because you don't just have to have, I mean, as far as nerds and the stuff that we like, it's not limited to new content. 
Content about the content we like is also stuff that we're into. Clearly, that includes us who are making a Marvel podcast and people listening to a Marvel podcast. I mean, we like to go into this stuff and engage with it in lots of different ways. And so I think that is, that's a viable option regardless of COVID-19. I mean, I've thrown that idea out there as different types of Marvel Studios related programming that could be on Disney Plus that's not limited to big expensive series that they have to create, you know, of scripted series like Falcon and Winter Soldier or WandaVision. They could do stuff like that to, uh, to really make Disney, it adds value to Disney Plus. It allows more Marvel fans to actually have the potential to see that type of presentation. And, and of course, unlike Comic-Con, where you're competing in the news cycle with everything else that's being announced there, granted Marvel usually doesn't have much trouble dominating it, but you don't compete with anything. You pick your own date whenever you want, when nothing else is happening, and Marvel just owns that whole day as they, as they do a live stream for something like that. I think that would be really cool, and that's an option that they could put together whenever they feel like they're ready to, to show us some stuff from their upcoming projects and make announcements. Yeah, that's, I, I don't know what to do. I mean, I, besides cancel, I, I, again, I'm willing to give it time, but like you, you're more, I'm more of an optimist, I think. And you're, I, I think you're right though, Sean. I don't, I don't think they'll have any other reason to, to cancel it. And I don't know if having a giant conventions this summer is a, a great idea, but again, then again, what does that mean for sporting events? You know, it, it's not as many people, but still a lot of people. I, I just don't know. And it's it's weird and again we are in weird weird times and like i said i really do think the end of this month is probably where we're really going to get a better idea of what the next three four months will look like i think from a entertainment standard from and all those things and it's going to be a a strange time and it's unfortunate but we just got to pull through it's i think we're we're kind of in the middle as we record this april 1st we're in the middle i think of the worst of it as far as a country goes. Um, and I think that it's, but that means if we're going through the worst of it, it's going to eventually, we're going to get through it. And I think that's the kind of the key right now is we just got to pull, pull together and, and hope that, you know, that the people make the right decisions. And, and we, and right now we just, me and Sean, we're just two people that have opinions and I'm hoping that, and if people make the wrong decisions, they'll, they'll people let them know. I mean, there's, and they'll probably end up making the right decision, hopefully, if, if they do try to like force something that maybe is not appropriate. So we'll see. I'm I'm optimistic that, you know, maybe things will get back to normal in two months. I don't know. Uh, what does that even mean, normal? I don't know. It's it's a but you know what? Eventually things will get semi-normal again sh- sooner than later. And I think right now we're in the worst of it. We just got to pull through as a country together, support each other, support your neighbors, support the people out there that are that need need support, meaning the people that maybe can't go out and, and don't want to go out and uh, get groceries, help them out. Ask them if they need help, do they need do they need anything. That's what my wife and I have been asking people in our neighborhood and seeing if our neighbors need anything. It's just in case, because you never you don't want to assume that you know maybe someone really does need help, whether it be financially or even just needs help like moving stuff because they're by themselves or they need help move, uh, getting groceries because they're scared to go outside because they are, they have comorbidities and, and compromised immune systems. So just go out there, pull for each other. We're all going to get through this, but we definitely have to be smart about it and uh, just help each other out in the best way possible. So uh, hopefully things will get back to normal, but they will get back to semi-normal at some point. Just keep the faith. 
Well, I do think I agree that we will get through this, you know, and the I'm not the lack of optimism that I have isn't about our ability to get through this. It's just no, about of course, of what, course. what reasonable timelines are for us to get on the other side of this. And I don't exactly. really believe that we're we haven't seen the worst of this yet because every estimate shows that more people are going to be impacted by this and more people are, are not going to actually make it all the way through this. So I don't want to be dismissive of the realities that, that we are facing. And the, every there are still very severe things and much more severe than anything that we have talked about today, obviously. But, you know, I, I think that uh, that all of that said, of course, you know, Paul, you're right in that this is certainly a time where we can band together to help each other out as, as much as we can to come together as much as we can and to have our sense of community. And, and I know that you know, we're being impacted in the ways that we engage in our communities, you know, with movie theaters not happening, not being open and, and conventions being postponed or canceled. And, and all of these things, I think for right now, I mean, they are temporary. We don't know how long it's going to be, but it's still temporary. These aren't permanent. We will get back to something resembling normal. I, I think it might be a new normal that doesn't totally look exactly like it did before all of this happened, but maybe the new normal can be improved in a lot of ways in a world that is safer. And so maybe that, maybe that will be the net result of this. But for now, specific to Marvel and their interests and the interests of Marvel fans and things that we might, ha that we might see, uh, things may be delivered to us and we may experience things for a while, not quite in the way that we are used to. But as long as we're still getting our, our characters and our stories, the things that inspire us, that also give us a, a chance to escape a little bit and that give us a sense of joy, uh, even when other things in, in the world might look bleak or, or might be sad or disappointing for us, like it's good to, that we can still have these things that inspire us. And, and I think their power to inspire us isn't going to change, even if temporarily we consume these stories in a different way than maybe we are used to. But eventually, one way or another, whether that's Black Widow or the Eternals or Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings or Doctor Strange or whatever it is, you know, eventually we're going to have those Marvel opening nights again in theaters. And I know it's going to be really, really great when we get back to that. But we still have the opportunity to come together and enjoy these stories even now. And of course, we try to do as much of that as we can here on Marvel Studios News. Now, before we get out of here, I just want to say thank you very much to Alex, Edward, Greg, Robert, Fetmatic, Emmanuel, Eric, and Andy. They are some of the latest patrons over at patreon.com slash Marvel Studios News, where we offer exclusive content that's not available anywhere else, including some the Marvel Unlimited Book Club, where we're talking about She-Hulk. We just dropped a Doctor Strange commentary, so make sure you look for that. And when you do get exclusive audio on the Marvel Studios News Patreon, you get your own private RSS link, so you can put it into, into a podcatcher like Apple Podcasts, get all of your Marvel Studios News shows in one feed. You don't have to track them down in multiple places. And we also have a Patreon exclusive Discord community where you can watch and submit questions during uh, live watch parties. You can do that on Instagram. But if you want to participate in the voice chat, you can do that on our Patreon exclusive Discord. And we've got a great group of Marvel fans who are still together and, you know, and coming together to share our joys and, and our love of these stories. And also some of our concerns that we have right now. We have great conversations going on over there. So for more information on that, please visit patreon.com slash Marvel Studios News, and then keep up with us in all the places you can on Instagram at Marvel Studios News, at Marvel Studios News on Facebook, on Twitter, it's at Marvel Newscast, and then the website is MarvelStudiosNews.com. And then, oh yeah, no, that's it. I said all of them. Paul, where can everybody find you? 
You can find me on Twitter at Herman22 with two N's, a.k.a. P-Thug. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Sean Gerber, Sean spelled S-E-A-N. So for Paul, I'm Sean. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. 